Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition. That's right. We've got another interview, and we're going to interview somebody that currently has a project on Kickstarter who is on Skype today. This is uh, Matt Loader, President, Princess in Charge of Prettiest Princess Games. That's a whole lot of P's. And designer of Glamazon versus the Curse of the Chainmail Bikini, which is the active Kickstarter project that we have up right now. Yes. All right. So, Matt, let's start with, well, okay, let's, let's do a couple of the questions that we tend to do, which would be, uh, what do you do for a profession besides game publishing here and designing? Uh, so I do a whole bunch of things. I have, uh, very much like this kind of patchwork life situation. Uh, after years of doing career things, like I used to be a teacher, I managed rock climbing gyms for a long time, things like that. And uh, I decided that I really wasn't super happy doing kind of one job all the time. So now I have a bunch of, uh, sort of side jobs where I freelance a bunch of different things. And, uh, the biggest one, I guess, monetarily is that I am a wedding officiant. So I, uh, I perform weddings. I do maybe 150 weddings a year. I did six this past weekend. It's super fun. It's like pretty much the best job ever, except for the fact that it's inconsistent with money. <laughs> but otherwise, I mean, I, I hang out with people that are in love on one of the best days of their lives. I get to go to a lot of parties and get free drinks. So it's really kind of the, the best situation. I work for like 10 minutes at a time. And then, you know, get to hang out. I also do freelance design work, both sort of like digital and print. I screen print stuff for people. Like I do shirts and uh, posters and things like that. And I also teach Krav Maga and uh, some sort of like more general fitness and some kickboxing classes and stuff like that. And I think that covers like the main stuff that I'm making money on right now. But Good, uh, good Lord, man. Oh, I flip bikes too, uh, you know, like bicycles. So I buy a lot of, you know, like old, like 70s and 80s road bikes, you know, tag sales for like 10, 20 bucks and then uh, fix them all up, you know, buy new parts, you know, make them make them really nice and then sell them for, you know, two, three hundred bucks. How do you have time to actually attempt to publish a game? Well, I mean, I, it, the thing is that all this stuff doesn't take that much time, which is kind of what's great about it. So I kind of get to dance around all over the place. And the thing with publishing games is that a lot of it is stuff that I just like doing anyway. So part of, you know, I don't really have as much... uh do nothing leisure time, I guess, as most people do. But the thing is that I've turned most of the things that I would be doing for that into, at the very least, somewhat cash neutral prepositions. So for example, like the uh, Krav Maga and fighting and stuff, I got into teaching it because I, I mean, I like teaching, but I uh, couldn't really afford to do it. So, you know, it was like, hey, like, let me start, you know, hanging around the gym, cleaning up, you know, doing doing odd job kind of stuff. And then, you know, you kind of hang out enough, you're going enough. And, you know, you, you start to, you know, some people start to get that itch to want to teach. And, you know, I was kind of helping out with classes, assisting and then it becomes a thing where I'm teaching. And uh, then it becomes a thing where, you know, doing Krav actually makes me a little money instead of me having to pay money to do it. You know, so it's the same kind of thing with gaming, sort of, in that, you know, a part of what I'm doing is, you know, I go on to message boards and talk about games with people. You know, just that's kind of technically considered part of the job, you know, being a part of the community, getting involved, you know, going up on Board Game Geek and, you know, talking about this or that, being a Fortress Mare trash and, you know, arguing about, this, that, and the other thing, because that's uh, that's great for the company, because people get to know who you are. Actual sort of boring company stuff, we're not big enough yet that it takes that much time. We don't really have that complicated accounting, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, certainly that takes some time to do things like that and do spreadsheets and do run numbers and, you know, boring stuff with taxes and things like that. But uh, at the end of the day, it's uh, sort of a small portion of an overall sort of like life choice. You know, you look at somebody, uh, there, there are very few people actually that own even moderately large board game companies where it is their only full-time job. It was pretty recently that like Colby from Plaid Hat, you know, 
made Plat Hat his, his full-time thing. You know, somebody like Steve Bonacore at Stronghold, he still very much has a full-time serious adult Wall Street job and manages to run Stronghold. So, you know, it's one of those things where actually running the company can take not as much time as people think it does. And because it's such a fun, overall such a fun sort of thing, it's pretty easy to, you know, spend less time doing quote unquote leisure activities and, and turn that into doing stuff with the business. Plus, I also have, you know, big aspirations to reach a point where uh, doing games is kind of the main thing that I do. Um, you know, sort of the people that I came up under, you know, the biggest influence I would say would be Zev. Um, I've been, you know, working with him, doing stuff with him for a really long time now. And, uh, you know, sort of watched him go from, you know, this guy that weirdly republished Shadow Fist and had some, you know, B-movie card games and, you know, kind of stuff to, you know, the guy that somehow scored Agricola and then, you know, pandemic and exploded and is buying houses because he's <laughs> so successful. So, you know, like that, that, those are sort of my aspirations, definitely. But right now it's not super time consuming, I guess. Same way, like, you know, you have the, you have the, you know, you have multiple podcasts and a blog and all this and that. And I'm sure you devote a lot of time to it, but I, I doubt that that's the only thing you do, you know? <laughs> Some days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Saturdays, Saturday, well, for me, Saturday, I don't really have Saturdays in the same way because I do the wedding so much. But yeah, they're definitely, you know, especially with the Kickstarter, there are definitely days where that's literally all I do. You know, not, not the Kickstarter is live. You know, the last week has been basically doing game stuff. I was going to say, yeah, you, you pretty much got your Saturdays locked up quite a bit, don't you? I used to uh, be a party and slash wedding DJ. So, yeah, it was pretty much, I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing that's really nice about the, uh, the JPing versus, like, literally any of the other wedding-related jobs is that really, like, depending on how I schedule it, I really don't have to be there for, like, 20 minutes, half an hour, and then I'm done. So, that's, you know, I can true, do a couple weddings in the morning and then have the rest of the day to do whatever I want. Um, I mean, there's a reason, you know, I get paid, I think I get paid very well for what I do, but I'm definitely the lowest paid out of all of the sort of wedding professionals. But that's totally fair because everyone else works way harder than I do. You know, DJs, caterers, you know, all that kind of stuff, photographers. Before we go on to some of these other questions, I got to say it's it's very distracting seeing a picture of you in a suit, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, because I like I had like important like I I because I use this for like sometimes I uh, interview people or not interview like people like you know, we have like wedding meetings and stuff, so I have to pretend to be like a proper adult and trick them. It's kind <laughs> it's kind of crazy when somebody in a suit freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, especially me. I mean, that's definitely uh, like the complete polar opposite of uh, gaming me. That's for sure. <laughs> all right. So since the Game of Crowdfunding segments are part of All Us Geeks, we like to also ask, what makes you a geek? Pretty much everything. I am just, I tend to prefer to call myself a nerd versus a geek. Oh, we might have to fight now. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, it, never, it never stuck with me so much because like, I've been a nerd from way back, you know, before geek really was as much in the lexicon in terms of a codification of the differentiation between geek, dork, nerd, all that kind of stuff. When I was a kid, it was all just, you know, you read books and are into D&D and other weird nonsense. So nerd is the one that just stuck with me as as one that that worked. Geeks, I don't know, geeks I always thought of like uh, carnival geeks that, you know, eat everything. Uh, yep, yep. So, you know, and then board game geek, you know, came along and I was, I was like, uh, board game nerd is better. No. Like, why do they call it geek? You know, you know, it's not something that like bothers me, but I just always have, have thought of myself as more of a nerd than a geek. Although it seems like I've definitely lost in, in terms of, in terms of what is, what is, you know, definitely the far more accepted nomenclature for what we're about. But, you know, when it comes to gaming, certainly like I've been, I, I grew up in a family of, uh, huge nerds, you know, of every meaning of that. And, uh, you know, the thing, the thing with that is, you know, my, my family is a lot of scientists 
And, you know, my, my uncle has a doctorate in nuclear physics from MIT. And, you know, my grandfather was a chemist and he, you know, he invented instant coffee and instant iced tea. Uh, among other things, Pringles. Nice. He meant Pringles. Of course, he was a company man. This was in like the fifties, so you know he were, right. didn't have any money or anything from it. But you know, and then his friends would come by, and it's like you know, one of his really good friends invented glow sticks, and then Uncle Pete invented margarine, which is ridiculous. You know, so like this is that's the kind of environment I grew up in. My uncle, my aforementioned uncle, who was a grad student at MIT in the seventies, got us all into D and D. And so one of the big things from when I was like, you know, when I was four years old, it was a huge big deal that I got to join the family D&D game. And it was, you know, AD&D. So at the time, it was actually really, really simple to play a fighter. So I was four and I could read and I was a fighter. You know, it was very easy for me to, you know, roll a D20. I, you know, I want to stab that goblin. Okay, roll a D20. What's the number? Oh, okay. Like you hit or you don't, which is really interesting when, when contrasted with, uh, you know, some of the modern D&D and role-playing stuff is how easy it was to play certain classes that, you know, back in the day. So, uh, you know, I've been playing D&D since like before I was really in school even and, uh, you know, reading fantasy and, you know, I, I read The Hobbit when I was very little. I, you know, loved like the Rankin-Bass Hobbit. Watch that, watch that video like endlessly. It's probably my most seen movie of all time. You know, got into like, you know, NES and, and RPGs, you know, and Final Fantasy and Dragon Warrior came out. It blew my little mind because you could play D&D without the family having to be around. And I was just like, what? This is the greatest. This is so cool. Like, I don't have to wait for everyone to come by and like, you know, play D&D. Like, I remember being incredibly disappointed too when I showed my uncle because he was just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I don't really care at all. You know, because he just wasn't into video games. And I was like, I was like, I don't understand. Like, why, why are you not like, why do you not think this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity? And then, you know, just, just growing up. I mean, that was just, that was my entire life growing up. I never stopped, you know, being into games. I never stopped being into video games and fantasy and sci-fi and like all that kind of stuff. Like I didn't go through that phase of, you know, being too cool for it. There were definitely phases in my life where I was maybe focused a little bit less on, uh, on sort of like, uh, you know, like playing like a weekly D and D game, for example, you know, I was definitely interested in like maybe hanging out with girls and drinking beers and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, I still certainly like kept up with D and D and kept up with this stuff. And, you know, certainly played at least semi-regularly. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, maybe they were kids and they were into gaming and then they, they took a big break. And then as like, you know, 25 year olds or when they went to college or something, they sort of rediscovered Settlers of Catan or something like that. Uh, for me, it was definitely just kind of like, yeah, this is what I do. I don't know. You know, when I was, when I was a little kid, I had more games than a lot of people that are like full blown, like BGG addicts have now, you know, like, right. we, you know, it was, we had it, we already, when, you know, when I was like six, I had that enormous bookshelf full of games already. And then it just never trunk. Yeah. <laughs> it just kept growing. <laughs> yeah. I unfortunately, I don't get to role play as much as I want to, but I can't give it up through all the years. I still collect RPGs. If I find one that's really unique yeah. or something or, or that piques my interest, even though I know I'm going to have a hell of a time trying to get anybody to play it with me, it's got to be on my shelf. It's fun. I honestly, I love reading fluff, like well-written, you know, well, well thought of fluff and just universe stuff. And even even crunchy bits that are sort of fluff related crunchy bits, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, like really thematic, you know, feats or this or that, you know, kind of thing. Like I just really enjoy like reading universe stuff. You know, like we just recently got into Numenera and we're having so much fun. And I, I just like, like reading through, you know, the world that Monty Cook kind of put together. And mm -hmm. it's just kind of fun to read the book, even if I know I'm never going to see it. Right. Uh, one thing that, that really excites me about it, and maybe you feel the same way. I, I recently came up with this sort of articulation of this idea. When you see a game on a shelf or you read, uh, RPG rules or something like that, like to me, what I do is I envision it's, it's like this endless potential. Like I'm standing on this edge of this, this like cliff overlooking 
this insane future of all these amazing times and, and fun and, and adventure and experience and storytelling. And, you know, like reading the rules to like a new RPG, it's like, oh my God, it's going to be so cool when I build this character or that character. And very rarely comes to pass that you actually do all that stuff. But it's like when you, when you're making a new character too, you're like, oh man, this cool ability, I'm going to do it like this, I'm going to do this. You have all these like visions of how you're going to use these abilities that you're sort of like building into your character. And maybe it works out some totally different way. And that's awesome. Or maybe you play that character one session and they die or you play one or two sessions and then the group kind of like loses interest in the system or this or that. And, uh, I just love that feeling of, of this potential that's, that's so huge. Or you see, even just see a board game, you know, and you're like, Man, it's going to be so exciting. Like the first time I saw Twilight Imperium when that, when that came out, it was just like, this is, this is insane. Like I, I immediately just couldn't like not want to play that and not want to experience what was in this ridiculous box with all this stuff. <laughs> and like it was just like, Oh my God, this is going to be so amazing. That was like one of the first Uber boxes for board gamers. If you really think about it. <laughs> oh yeah. It was the first coffin box. Yeah. Mind blowing when you saw that thing. You were just like, what is this? <laughs> Yeah, for me, I'm usually the GM, so it's uh, looking at everything from what can I what can I run people through and and what scenarios I can create. I do enjoy good fluff, but at the end of the day, I'm always the guy that'll throw it all out because I want to do my own fluff. Yep, yep. <laughs> but I always like at least a a good feeling for what's going on with what what was intended and then just uh, the rule set. But usually, yeah, it's it's theme and setting first, and then. Uh, how well do the rules work with it? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, one of the, one of my favorite parts about fluff, right, is sort of filling in the gaps. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of see like, well, this is what this is. You know, like I love, I really enjoyed, uh, did you read the, um, Ed Greenwood's Forgotten Realms? Uh, some of them, yeah. Came out? Well, the new oh, one. No, no, not the new came one. Out. It's like this, it's like a, it's like a big D&D book and it's like a full size, you know, like rule book size. It's not like a novel or anything. And it's basically just like all this insane stuff that Ed Greenwood figured out, like different coinage systems and, you know, different kind of mixed drinks that people have. And, you know, just all these like crazy stats and things that are completely irrelevant to like the way you actually are going to play, but just, just really flesh out this universe and give you all these little kernels of things to kind of explore and, you know, sort of mess around with and, uh, you know, kind of take and, and twist into your own sort of storytelling and experience, which I, I just love. All right. Here's one, one that I've actually kind of enjoyed asking lately because we get some interesting responses. Do you have a geek passion or do you have a passion about something that other people might not consider geek related? Oh, I mean, like, am I into stuff that's like not like, like geeky stuff? Right. What, well, what we've been kind of pointing out a lot lately is that you can geek out about just about any topic and it, it yeah. boils down to your passion on it. Right. It's uh, yep, you know, yep. like somebody who's seriously into fantasy football to the point, like I, I know a coworker that no matter what, oh, I'm sorry, ex coworker. I want to make sure because I, I have a few coworkers that do do fantasy football just in case they ever <laughs> listen. Talking about our ex coworker <laughs> uh, that no matter what topic we were talking about, even if it was work related, somehow yep. football was coming in. <laughs> that's a yeah, geek no, passion no, exactly what you mean um i would say that um i mean one of the things that i'm i mean there's a few things that i'd say are are sort of non-traditional geek stuff that i'm super into i mean one would be just a general interest in things like gender studies and sort of uh radical politics you know i, I guess that's sort of weird but i'm a huge nerd about that stuff another thing i really like to go dancing uh like you know like, like top 40 club dancing mm-hmm. so i do that a lot i drink a lot uh, which may or may not be considered, you know, sort of like geeky behavior. As I mentioned before, you know, like I teach fighting, 
that's definitely uh, interestingly not uh, traditional sort of like geek behavior. Uh, I'm super into tattoos. Let's see, uh, rock climbing. You know, I've been I ran rock climbing gyms for a very long time, so that was like another huge sort of like hobby thing that became career-ish. So yeah, I guess I think I have like a lot of stuff that's like sort of that not traditional. Yeah, I was, uh, was going to say just from your uh, discussion about what you do for work. <laughs> Uh, you're pretty much a renaissance across the board for a lot of different yeah. things. By the way, we will be talking about tattoos in a little bit. Don't worry about it. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I think that my thing is like, I just get passionate about everything. I just love experiencing kind of everything and getting into stuff. And I get, if I, if I like something, I get super into it. And, uh, I don't want to say obsess over it, but I definitely, you know, get pretty deep into a rabbit hole if it's something <laughs> that I'm into. Um, it just so happens that most of, or many of the things I'm super into are sort of traditional you know, sort of nerdery things like, uh, you know, gaming, comics, video games, that kind of stuff. But there's certainly plenty of things. And I definitely wholeheartedly agree that fantasy football nerds are, are just as bad as us, <laughs> you know, and people that are huge nerds about sports in general. I always make fun of my best friend. Oh, music. I totally forgot music. I used to play in bands. I ran a record label for like 10, 11 years. Of um, course you did. Yeah, I toured. I toured full time <laughs> for maybe three years. I put out a bunch of records. I used to book shows throughout like New York and, you know, Connecticut, Jersey, Long Island, like the whole, whole area. So I was super, super active in the music scene for, for a really long time. Now I'm definitely much less of a, a sort of active presence and that I go to shows maybe a couple times a month instead of, you know, booking four or five shows a week, uh, <laughs> or playing, you know, a couple hundred shows a year because I'm on tour. But, uh, that's definitely something that was, uh, awesome. But it's really interesting too, because there's, there's like secret D and D nerds like everywhere. You know, you have all these like cool, like, you know, punk rock kids or whatever. And they're all like, you know, everyone, you know, they have this like very cool persona or whatever, what, what, you know, sort of like mainstream would think of as cool. And then you get to talking and then they're just like, Oh, like, you know, we used to bring like magic, magic cards on tour and we would play magic on tour a lot. Uh, you know, not all of us, but some of us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, you know, occasionally somebody would, you know, somebody from some other band would be like, are you guys playing magic? That's so awesome. You know, be just like so excited. And you're like, what? You're into magic too? Like, that's so weird. But, uh, you know, one of, one of my really good friends that I, I did a band with for a while, like, he's a huge sports nerd, like, you know, really, really into baseball, which is the worst for, for stat nerds. Um, <laughs> and so he would just like, you know, he had like notebooks full of stats and he's like crunching all these numbers and doing all this stuff and like knows all this trivia and craziness. And it was like, you know, and, and he tried to be all like, I'm not into that like nerd stuff, you know, and like not in like a really like awful way, but just, you know, kind of like, you know, giving each other a hard time. And it's like, yeah, listen, like <laughs> you are, you are just as bad as I am. It just so happens that what you're into and awful about is this like more acceptable mainstream thing for like young men to be into. <laughs> yeah. You should have them. Okay. Take your favorite player, write down all the stats you want on a sheet and then let's compare sheets. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, exactly, exactly, exactly. How strong is he? Is he more of a is he more of a dexterity guy or a strength guy? You know, like, and it's and he could do that. And then he's like, no, no, I'm not into that. You know, like, so funny. You've kind of given, I think, a sneak peek at this, but let's talk about how did uh, Prettiest Princess Games come along, and how did you pick the name of the company, sir? Well, so so uh, it came along primarily because I've wanted to you know, publish games for a long time, you know, for a while, I was, I was always interested in that, especially coming from a sort of space where, you know, I had a record label because I wanted to put out records and it was, you know, kind of being in a scene and this whole like sort of DIY ethos of just, you know, kind of do it yourself, like get involved, like make stuff happen. And uh, board gaming is another universe where that kind of attitude prevails. Um, you know, it's, it's mostly just people that were like, yeah, I have this idea. I want to do this thing. You know, it's, it's very much 
uh, this kind of underground DIY kind of scene, which is, which a lot of people don't realize. And so for me, it was like, yeah, I really love to put out games. My primary interest, uh, actually lies. I really like development. Um, and I really like sort of like the business marketing, you know, all this kind of stuff associated with actually publishing. I'm interested in design. I'm interested in, in that kind of stuff. But I also, I think my real passion is I really love sales. I really love, you know, doing the business stuff, marketing, you know, that's just super fun to me. And so publishing games was kind of a natural fit, but the problem was that, you know, I don't have money. <laughs> like, and, you know, Kickstarter kind of came along and made it so that I didn't actually need to have 20 grand sitting in the bank to publish my first game. I could just, you know, kind of like do all the work and then, and then connect with the community to, to raise that, that money to do that. So I had spent a lot of time doing stuff with uh, a number of publishers over the years. And, you know, I was pretty excited. You know, I got a pretty good inside look into the way things work. Being where we live, there's a number of pretty uh, well-known sort of publishers in the area that I got to know over the years and, you know, sort of got really involved in playtesting and uh, doing some development work on some stuff for people and, you know, just kind of generally being involved. And I started working conventions for people and, you know, traveling around, doing shows, you know, running the booth for people and stuff like that if they couldn't make it. Like for a few years, World Board Game Championship conflicted with Gen Con. And so for those years, like I was in charge of the Z-Man stuff at WBC, you know, so I kind of handled everything and I was dealing with, you know, sales to vendors and sales to, you know, customers and, you know, just kind of dealing with all these things and learning stuff so that I could answer questions better when people were asking, you know, weird questions about distribution and, you know, what the printing schedule was like, you know, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I just kind of ate it up and, and learned as much as I could from all these people. And then Kickstarter came along. Well, actually just prior to this, I worked for Panda for a little bit, you know, Panda Game Manufacturing. Yeah. So I was in printing for a little bit um, and learned a whole bunch from those guys. And then, you know, like that ended and I was, uh, I really, you know, now is the time, you know, Kickstarter is happening. The bubble has yet to burst for the most part, you know, and I don't know how hard it's going to burst necessarily, but I think it's definitely, you know, it's definitely reaching, reaching some points. But, you know, it's kind of like, look, if it's kind of now or never with this kind of amazing opportunity of Kickstarter. To kind of get the ball rolling and and do this, so I really need to really need to get the ball rolling and 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 get it done. And then uh, Prettiest Princess is uh, primarily because I wear a lot of princess dresses at conventions. I uh, have run a very successful Pretty Pretty Princess tournament uh, for a few years at ConCon. This year, I think we're bringing it to BGGCon actually for the first time. For those that are unfamiliar with Pretty Pretty Princess, it is a uh, children's game from the '90s, maybe even late '80s, and it, yeah, I think it's actually late '80s. And it's this really stupid uh, spinner and move, and you just move around this board, and you randomly land places, and when you land on a piece of jewelry, you get that piece of plastic jewelry and you put it on, and the goal of the game is to get all the pieces of jewelry. So uh, it's totally serious business when you have, you know, like <laughs> 60 drunk grown men putting on jewelry. You know, I, uh, this, I've been upping it every year. This, this last, last year, I uh, made a grand entrance riding in on the back of a unicorn. Um, I was in this big, you know, I was in this dress, and... <laughs> Rode in on the back of a unicorn and, uh, you know, made these big proclamations and, and, uh, had a dude dressed up as like a sort of like royal, you know, like, uh, crier, sort of like announcing my arrival. And, you know, we did a little parade around and, and came back and it was, you know, it was ridiculous. And then the final, I had everyone, I had gowns for everyone. So everyone in the final ended up in gowns. I actually have some really amazing pictures of Zev who managed to make it to the final in this incredible belly dancers costume that I had. Uh, so, so, uh, you know, basically if we end up, if we end up, um, uh, someone a hundred percent that we're going to BGG con, uh, somewhat depends on 
how well we do with Kickstarter that's active right now. But uh, if we go, I'm going to end up having to ship down a giant box of like 20 copies of Pretty Pretty Princess and a bunch of gowns to, you know, to make things happen. So uh, that's where, you know, that's where Prettiest Princess kind of came from. It definitely is interesting because a lot of people think that, that, you know, they see me now and I'm wearing these like, you know, ridiculous dresses and outfits at conventions and stuff. And they're like, oh, this is, this is really good marketing. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it kind of is. It's, it's great. I, I think it works really well. But also um, I was doing this before, like when I never, you know, long before I ever had. You know, Priest Princess this was just kind of like a thing I was doing. You didn't notice as much because I wasn't telling you about stuff, but I was just, you know, drunkenly playing Twilight Imperium in the back, like, you know, dressed like Snow White. Like I was just, you know, hanging out. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so it's, 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 uh, it's definitely kind of a very natural fit, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think I remember like when you first emailed me about us getting together, uh, I was like, are you stalking me? Cause I had just got done watching your interview for BGG. Out yeah. of Gen Con. Oh, yeah. And then my second question to myself was, how did I not hook up with this guy while I was at Gen Con? <laughs> how did I miss this? Yeah, it was all over. It was a different outfit each day, too. I think uh, it was uh, Snow White, uh, Alice from Wonderland, and Little Red Riding Hood, and then sort of generic pink uh, tutu princess kind of thing. So I, I mixed it up. Just did New York Comic Con. Um, I only had two. So I had Rainbow Bright and then... Uh, uh, it was actually technically a Rapunzel, but it looked more like Aurora from Sleeping Beauty. Uh, awesome. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the Rainbow Bright one especially turns out, you know, there were a lot of pictures. I made it to, uh, Maxim's Babes of Con, Con uh, Babes of Comic Con, uh, photo, <laughs> nice. you know, photo show. So I'm a Maxim girl now. Um, I was also on MTV. I was interviewed on MTV, uh, one of the days with, it's basically some sketchy sort of like scumbaggy kind of show about like cos- hot cosplayers. Oh, um, yeah. But it's all, you know, it's, it's all these beautiful women in scandals outfits and then me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, one of the pictures of me in, in the, uh, Rainbow Bright outfits ended up being taken by a guy who works for Getty, uh, which is like one of the big sort of like, uh, stock photo, right, uh, yep. providers. So that ended up on CBS, NBC, CNN, like all these like major, you know, the coverage for a lot of these like sort of like these major news sources, uh, their coverage had a picture of me dressed as Rainbow. <laughs> Uh, which, which is just nuts and amazing and, and I love it. So and I really need to get like a crown or something that says like prettiest princess because like, you know, I should probably capitalize on this in some way. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe make it so that it's not just like, Oh, random weirdo, you know, like, yeah, it, it sounds like awesome publicity unless you're not getting the publicity for it. Yeah, it like I personally am getting this weird publicity, but no one actually knows who I am on these things, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, like, Oh, that guy, you know, like, I mean, it helps. Everything helps. And I, I mean, it's also really fun and I don't need to be like super cutthroat about it but i'm also kind of like oh, you know i should really like you know find some way to like make this like make people aware of the fact that i have a thing you know <laughs> but at the same time tons of people come up and talk to me and ask for a picture and then it becomes this really sort of natural exchange You're like oh i love your costume let me take a picture with you and i'm like oh here you know like i have a kickstarter going on right now like you know put it up on the uh you know tag it up tag us up put it on the uh put it on the facebook and all that you know and and so it doesn't seem as like uh, I don't see a lot of my like little promo cards and stuff getting, uh, you know, thrown on the floor like most other people that are like handing out flyers on the show floor, <laughs> you know, tend to be. Yeah. So it's good in that sense. Definitely. So Glamazons is going to be your first game. Yeah. Yep. This okay. is, this is all, this is, this is like right out the gate. This is, this is the, this is the new getting started first step here. You designed Glamazons. Right? I did. So take me into, I've got an idea. 
And how do you get from there to I've got a game that I really think will do well on Kickstarter? Yeah, well, so a lot of it was that uh, I have a lot of ideas, um, and I've had a lot of ideas, and I, you know, started, you know, I've designed and developed a number of things to various points of of completion, and then uh, with Glamazons, it was a situation where I kind of was like, all right, cool, like. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start publishing. Like, what game am I going to do first? And first I had to decide if I wanted to go with a different designer or something that I had designed. And uh, my initial inclination was actually I wanted to do something else from someone else because, you know, I, I don't think of myself as primarily a designer. I think of myself more primarily as a developer. Then I realized, you know, I thought about it more and it was like, well, what do I have? Um, and then also the question of, well, I can't possibly screw myself, you know, like setting up the deal one way or the other. You know, like I can't accidentally mm-hmm. screw it up. It's much easier for me to be like, hey, idiot, like, why did you miss this deadline? Because it's my deadline, you know, like, so, so I don't have to worry about like, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so it just kind of made the whole process much easier in terms of logistics, you know, like the designer is in house with the publisher, you know, it's, it's nice. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was kind of like a major consideration. The other one was that, um, I was kind of looking at what other sort of, uh, you know, a, what kind of publisher I wanted to be and what kind of projects I really wanted to do. And, uh, one of those things for me is that I really want to elevate games as, as art be it through content and theming, uh, be it through the actual just art associated with the game, be it through some sort of like deeper meaning and message sort of mixed in. Um, I'm also really interested in exploring themes that are not as, you know, standard in, in different ways. So, uh, you know, Glamazon's kind of hits all those things. The artist is a friend of mine that is this like super world famous pinup artist. Um, and yes. it was kind of like, you know, so I can get him involved. And then, uh, you know, like it, it's kind of saying this fun, interesting thing. It's not, you know, I think it's a super fun game in and of itself. Then also at the end of the day, it kind of has this, you know, it has a little bit of a message to it. Like, Hey, this is pretty ridiculous. Like, let's kind of make fun of the fact that chainmail bikinis are, are really not functional armor. And it's ridiculous that that's sort of a standard, you know, that, that females are depicted in. And so in terms of picking it for the first project, um, it seemed like the kind of thing that would get a good amount of traction, you know, without, you know, having some sort of prior, you know, way to, to, to raise that interest and awareness. It's definitely, you know, it's like you see the art and you're either, you know, you have an immediate reaction to that art, whether you think it's awful or, or amazing, you know, it's definitely really high quality art. And so, you know, so it's visually very appealing when you first see it. It's got a theme that pretty much everyone I've, I've mentioned it to connects with and understands and immediately sort of chuckles at at the very least. Some people vehemently disagree with the way that we are choosing to address that issue, which we can get to get to later. Right. Cause that, yeah, that's going to be one of my questions too. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get to that later, but <laughs> it's something that, you know, it's something that gets people talking, you know, and that's kind of what was, was really important to me in terms of like choosing a project from a purely business standpoint. It's the kind of thing that people are going to talk about. It's not just, Oh, Hey, like this is a really cool new deck builder that's based around, you know, killing dudes or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, and there's anything wrong with that specifically. But that that's, you know, if you're just a, a first time, no name, you know, kind of person, you know, that's not going to turn heads in the same way. And you're doing some interesting things with this game, too. Like you're you're taking us all back to our childhood in some aspects because we were going to have the like the chloroform mats. and Yeah, yeah. Colorform. <laughs> or colorform. Yeah. Chloroform is yeah, a whole, little, little, whole different deal. <laughs> that is a different game. That's an expansion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. And that's the kind of the thing, too, is that like. I mean, my, my thing, my thing about the whole stuff, I mean, I guess we could jump into, did, did you have like a way that you wanted to frame the question of how uh, awful or not awful I am uh, <laughs> in the opinion of, of certain feminists or, uh, 
Well, I, I think you're a terrible, I think you're a terrible, terrible bastard, but no, <laughs> no, I was just gonna, I was just gonna kind of ask. I mean, just, I mean, the artwork is, is nice. And of course, I, I want to get into that aspect too. But as presented, say, on the front of the box, were you concerned at all or are you concerned about people not really picking up on the fact that this is satire? Yeah, well, so it's it's actually really interesting, and, and I've had a lot of discussions with people, you know, people sending me messages on Kickstarter, a couple sort of like forum discussions. The thing for me is that it's, it's really important, or it's not super important, but rather, like my position is definitely a more nuanced position, I think. Some people want it to be a statement that chainmail bikinis are always awful, titillating images of women are inappropriate and sexist and horrible, the, the female body is something that we should be ashamed of, men looking at, you know, sexy bodies of women is wrong, uh, kind of thing. And that's, that's not really not the position that we're taking. The position we're taking is, is that context matters, that, that all those statements are true sometimes, mm-hmm. um, but not all the time. And that the, the problem we have, or the problem that I have and want to make fun of with chainmail bikinis specifically is not that, you know, chainmail bikinis or pinup art are some awful thing in and of themselves. It's that, when you are playing, say, World of Warcraft, which is where it's like sort of the most apparent uh, and easiest to sort of discuss or, or another MMO, if you are a female character or a male or a male character and you get like an item that drops, you know, like whatever it is, you know, like you get your 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 beast master chest plate. Um, if you are a male character, it looks like this. And it's this huge, like, you know, wildly well defended piece of equipment. Um, and if you are a female, it looks like you have these giant shoulder pads and then like some pasties. <laughs> um, and, and it's literally the exact same item. And so the, the idea is that that's, that's ridiculous and that that is emblematic of, uh, definitely sort of hurtful negative attitude towards women and the way that they, and, and the way females should be depicted in, in sort of like gaming media and pop culture and stuff. It's not to say that Red Sonia in and of herself is not a reasonable counterpart of Conan, who is depicted as a greased up shirtless muscle man in a little loincloth. So it's not necessarily awful. That his female counterpart is wearing like slightly more than him, you yeah, know, right. you know, so, so, uh, you know, there's context, you know, sometimes some of the stuff with that, you know, some of the Red Sonia stuff is, is certainly, uh, potentially troubling too. Uh, but it's really, it's really that, you know, you look at it, it the, the bigger question is, is to raise this kind of issue of the way females are depicted. And are we depicting females in this ridiculous way? And why are we doing that? And that, that, like, no matter what your opinion is on it, like, it's ridiculous. Like, there's, you know, there's not really any way around the idea that, like, Red Sonia is not dressed for battle, mm-hmm. uh, it, by most standards, just as neither is Conan, really, right? You know, right. uh, if you read, you know, Robert E. Howard, like, Conan frequently wore armor, you know, <laughs> he frequently wore, like, you know, he describes, like, this, this heavy armor that he's wearing. That's just not how he's depicted in sort of, like, popular media for the most part. And that's, that's also ridiculous. But, you know, it's one out of every hundred male fighters is depicted in this way, whereas one out of every female fighters is depicted in the opposite way. You know, it's depicted with armor or with proper armor. So, you know, the thing that we're talking about is not so much that there's uh, anything wrong with, you know, pinups or, uh, you know, or pornography, even, you know, to go to go like really super like deep into the sort of philosophical underpinnings. The thing for me is, you know, I, I have a degree in women's studies uh, is one of the, one of the things that, that I, uh, I did in school. And, uh, you know, there's there was this huge, huge thing. It was called the feminist porn wars is kind of like the sort of colloquial academic term for it. And it was, you know, late seventies through the eighties. And there were these two very, uh, well articulated, uh, very well respected 
schools of thought about, uh, you know, pornography and women's role in pornography. And if pornography was inherently misogynistic and awful, or if there could be such a thing as feminist porn, if women could or could not sort of own the depiction of their own sexuality in certain ways, you know, it's getting like very abstract <laughs> and heavy now. I don't mean to necessarily go that, that far into it, but, uh, I definitely fall more very firmly in the camp that, um, there's nothing wrong with sex. There's nothing wrong with nudity. There's nothing wrong with displaying yourself as a sexual person for money. I have no problem with sex workers. I'm very supportive of sex workers. You know, I have friends that are burlesque dancers. I have friends that are porn stars. Uh, you know, I, I know a couple of people that are, you know, like pro dominatrixes, uh, things of that nature. And, and that's, that's great. You know, like they own it. They are not there because they are being oppressed. You know, there, there's, 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 in my opinion, not this inherent oppression in that. It can be that, certainly. Um, and also the, you know, the other thing is that like as a dude, you know, I'm trying to not necessarily speak for women. I'm not trying to say like, this is a problem. This is a thing. You know, my thing is I'm trying to, you know, with, with sort of like the, the quote unquote message behind Glamazons, it's, it's just, we're trying to kind of like, you know, tongue in cheek, kind of make fun of the fact that, you know, this is a pretty ridiculous thing. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, hitting you over the head with, you know, academic literature or, or rape statistics or things like that. But it, you know, I think we need to recognize and address that this is, this is ridiculous and that this is, you know, this is definitely a situation that is ridiculous. Um, it's not necessarily this malicious thing. You know, if you're, if you're someone who, who is into that, if you're someone who has put out a game with that, if you're like Larry Elmore or whatever, like, I don't think you're an awful person. You know, I don't think you're, I don't think you're some, you know, awful misogynist. Maybe you are like, you know, and that's part of it. But, uh, you're not, you know, by default, just because you're into, into like, you know, pinup arts or, or, or porn or any of that stuff, you know, you're not this awful person. So, so my thing is, let's talk about it. It's ridiculous. Let's make fun of it. Making fun of stuff, I think, is a great way to approach serious topics in a way that is not off-putting to people who are, uh, maybe, you know, kind of on the fence on that. You know, if you, if you hit somebody in the face and you're like, hey, you like porn, you hate women and are like a huge part of rape culture and are awful. Well, that person's generally just going to be like, F you. Whereas if you're like, hey, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that like, you know, all these women are wearing this ridiculous armor, right? And they're like, yeah, haha, that is kind of ridiculous, you know, like, and then they start thinking about it and you kind of, you know, it's, it's, you know, essentially win, win people over to sort of at least just recognizing it and thinking about it and plant those seeds for a positive dialogue. It's actually, it's, it's kind of funny that we're having this conversation that, uh, the last episode that I just put out for all us geeks, um, I kind of addressed it a little bit too because I read, I read a story. I've been reading. A, I've been getting kind of getting back into comics a little bit because my co-host is really big into comics. And I read this series that was really good. It was a really really good story. And I happened to be reading it, and my fiance asked me what it was, and I told her about it. And the other day, she told me that sounded really interesting. I, I I'd like to read that sometime. Uh, but then I was showing her too. I got the volume of it. So, you know, I was just reading straight through it. But of course, in the volume, it was showing the covers and the al and the alternate covers. And it's from Xenoscope. Now, are you familiar with Xenoscope? Are they the ones that do all like the sexy fairy yes. tale stuff? So this was a very awesome story. And it wasn't the fairy tale stuff. It was actually, uh, it was a story about two series, two story series or whatever. But it's about people that were murdered come back to life to kill their murderer and then die again. And then it was the moral story about do the cops really want to stop it and all this kind of stuff. What is, what is it called? That sounds really interesting. The Waking and The Waking Dreams End were the two. And it's a really cool story. 
But the covers and the alternate covers were all cheesecake pinup. Some of it had like zero to do with whatever the story was and they were barely clothed and stuff. And I, I was getting pissed. I mean, I'm again, I'm red butted <laughs> male and I like my cheesecake and pinup wherever, you know, it's oh, yeah, appropriate. Yeah. I, pulled, I pulled some up to look at it. Like I see like there's like strippers yeah. like, with like a zombie or something. And I'm like, this is an awesome story that you potentially just turned off an entire group of people to read be- yeah. just because of how you decided to, to put stuff on the covers for the cheesecake pinup stuff that has zero to do with the story, zero to do it with it at all. So yeah, well, that's, and that's the thing I think, I think for me is it's like I said, like it's this context thing, you know, it's right. like, you know, like chainmail bikinis, right? Like I always say, you know, like chainmail bikinis, that's great. You're going to wear that to tavern. You're going to dress up to like do it, whatever, you know, if you're into <laughs> some, some kinky stuff, like rock on, you know, like that's amazing. Like, that, that's great for you. Like, I'm into it. That's awesome. If you're like, you're like, ah, I better put on my gear to go like fight a dragon. Like, well, it's probably not what you're going to put on. So like, why are we, you know, why are we pretending like that's the normal thing? Yeah. You know, so no, so I completely, completely agree. Yeah. And, and Xenoscope or Xenoscope or however you say it is, is definitely, uh, notoriously filthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pin, <laughs> pin up crazy. They, they, almost everything they do is, is pin up style stuff for, and yeah. Well, uh, a lot of their stuff is also sort of like, I'm not really, I get like the vibe I get from them, not to like, you know, trash talk it or whatever is, 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 le- you know, like, like, uh, there's definitely like a spectrum, right? Of like, uh, depictions of the human form in, in sort of like drawing or what have you, you know, or, or even photography, you know, like nobody's going to argue that, um, you know, Da Vinci's, uh, nude studies are, you know, so this exploitive, like sexualized thing. But also, like, no one's going to not argue that, like, you know, some, like, ridiculous hentai is anything but uh, sort of, like, filthy sex stuff. <laughs> but in between that, you have these sort of, like, this wide spectrum of, of stuff. You know, I mean, you look at somebody like uh, Robert Maplethorpe in photography. You know, is his stuff, like, pornography? Is it art? Like, what is he saying? What is he doing? What is the purpose? You know, that kind of, you know, what is he, what is he getting at, you know? Yeah, this definitely, this waking stuff is, is, is kind of creepy like there's like a girl getting her clothes ripped off by zombies yeah like, that one was the one that got me though yeah it was, it was just bizarre like i mean which does not happen to, anywhere in the like, story what are you getting at you know what i mean like what is what is the purpose of that you know like does it need to be this sexualized image for any reason you know like i don't know i mean i haven't read the story right so i, I yeah. can't i can't it, directly it doesn't on that, but, <laughs> it doesn't but, have yeah. to be that yeah, so then that's that's awful and ridiculous, right? So because it you know, is, think- if you it, like I said, I I got it as a volume. The cover was actually the the dad and daughter that appear in the story from the one I got, and it is a great story that they've just kind of crapped on. It seems like. Yeah. All right. Well, I, soapbox. Well, I have a problem bootlegging it to read it then. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's get, let's get back to, let's get back to happier times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's like, and that's part of, I mean, honestly, like, part of the reason why we took the approach we did with Glamazons and this kind of like campy, tongue in cheek, kind of still being ridiculous sort of way is that like, yeah, it'd be really easy to make this like, well, not easy, but you know, like, I could make this game called like Rape Hero. And it's like this really heavy handed, you know, like, hey, things are awful for women, yeah. you know, but no one's going to play that. No one's going to, no one's going to, you know, it's, it's going to immediately evoke the walls going up with anyone. That's, that's not already, you know, sympathetic to that. Whereas by being kind of ridiculous, it's like, Hey, you know, like we could talk about it. We're having this conversation, you know, like we're, we're, you know, we're talking about it. We're, we're, you know, we can kind of play the game and then kind of joke around about it and be like, Hey, yeah, this is interesting. And without, you know, getting into like this really heavy stuff, 
which a lot of people just shut down about, you know, for good or bad. I mean, I do it. Like, I, you know, when I hear about, like, starving children in Africa and stuff, like, it's awful. But, like, I try to just kind of shut it out because I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything about that right now. And well, it's just a huge bummer, you know? <laughs> it, it's kind of funny that you say that because I, I think I get the same way, too. Like, I do a lot of stuff that's community-related. In fact, we just had our uh, – in September, we did a pledge drive month. And what we did is once we hit our goal, anything above and beyond that, we're splitting 50-50 with a charity. That's awesome. So, I mean, I, I do stuff like that all the time, but like if I'm in a store and somebody's like asking me for money while I'm trying to pay for my stuff, I get a little irked. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. You know I mean? <laughs> we, can't, we can't, you know, like I, I come from this like, you know, DIY, politically aware punk rock world and it's like, you know, we rail against everything and we're mad about everything and, and, and you realize that like you're not going to change everything. You know, like my, I, I came to this point where I was like, look, like I have this sphere of influence around me. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be open hearted and giving. And I'm going to, you know, try to do great things for people, but I'm also not going to sweat the fact that like I can't single handedly eradicate starvation or poverty or, you know, whatever, because otherwise, I, especially with the way, you know, like the Internet and media is now like I could spend 24 hours a day just you know reading about horrible things constantly yeah. and, and feeling powerless and miserable. And, and that's not really a productive, positive thing either. So at some point we need to recognize that like, hey, you know, like. We have privilege, you know, like myself as a dude, right? Like, and, and you know, these women's issues, like recognizing that I'm in a privileged position because I'm a dude and, and recognizing that stepping back from that, but at the same time, not feeling guilty that like I happen to be a dude, you know, like it's, it's, that's just how it is, you know? And, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, it, it, you can always have people that are going to be more perfect than you or more aware or more giving or more this or more that, but it's really not a contest. You know, if everybody is like 2% better than they are right now, if everybody does it, the world's going to be amazing. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't take everyone being perfect for the world to like dramatically improve, you know? So, so these, this kind of like just doing little things, just being positive, you know, I loved it. It makes me so happy. Like you said, the thing about the charity drive, it's like, yeah, that's like exactly right. You know, like. Yeah, you're not like, you know, tearing down the Berlin Wall because, you you know, you gave an extra couple hundred bucks to someone or actually, I don't know how, how well your Kickstarter did. Maybe you're like this massive success, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, we, but you know, we, we didn't do Kickstarter because you can't. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, our, that was one of the, that was probably the biggest question I answered since I interview and talk about Kickstarter so much is like, well, why aren't you doing it through Kickstarter? It's like, well, Kickstarter's rules, I, I would be against Kickstarter's rules because I'm giving money to charity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's, and that's awesome. You know, it's like these little things, you know, like you just, you, you do stuff. And if, if everybody did something like that, like how amazing would the world be? You know, like yeah. you don't have to, you don't have to devote your entire life to, to saving the world to have a really positive impact. You know, it shouldn't all fall on, on your shoulders or any individual's shoulders, you know? So I don't know. It's, uh, it makes life certainly a lot more livable to, to sort of have a more pragmatic approach to what you can and can't do and, and just, you know, be awesome, be positive. All right. So Glamazons. Yes. <laughs> I said I could talk. I talk really oh, well. Oh, no, dude. So. <laughs> I, I, I'm perfectly fine with it. And if you're fine with going a little bit over, I'm fine with it as well. Oh, yeah. I don't care. I got, uh, I got nothing else tonight except <laughs> drinking beer and eating tacos. So, well, let's try to get you out of here then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm already drinking beer. So that's like, that's mission, mission one is already sort of in progress. All right, so you've you've got the game. You've decided this is the one that's going to Kickstarter. Um, I mean, was it already uh, well developed by that time, or did you just pick one of your concepts and and decide that you were going to develop it further? It was one that I'd mess around with a little bit, but the nature of the game is such that it didn't require a whole ton of development. It's not like a Twilight Imperium or something, you know. There's not a lot of uh, not a lot of moving pieces, 
So it was pretty easy to take those mockups and, and just start running through prototype playtests. I have a ton of people close by that game. I'm fortunate to have a really active variety of game groups and a whole bunch of people. And, you know, I organized public game nights. You know, so I had the opportunity to playtest a whole bunch in a relatively short amount of time. The game takes like 20 minutes around. So we could, you know, knock out a whole bunch of rounds pretty quickly too. So we did a ton of playtesting in a relatively short period of time compared to like, you know, some of the bigger games that you're looking at, you know, like, I, yeah, I play tested for like a year or two, you know, like, because it takes, you know, six hours to play through a game. And, you know, you know, like that's not, you know, we're not there. So, right. so that was, that was actually part of the impetus too, for picking, picking Glamazons was that it was one that I could feel really confident that in a relatively short period of time, I would give it all the attention that it needed to develop to the point where I'm a hundred percent happy and confident and, and really satisfied with the rules. The other thing too is that it, it's one where my goal with it in a lot of ways was to strip out a lot of everything else and really make it about this sort of singular experience. And that is the sort of bluffing aspect. So the theming is great. The theming is wonderful. It, it synergizes really well. And I think that's great. Um, but then also the game itself, I really am interested in two sorts of games, I think, both as a player and as a designer. And one end of the spectrum is kind of the two ends of the spectrum. One end of the spectrum is these massive, intricate, super complex, tons of, you know, interlocking pieces, you know, civilization building games, uh, you know, massive adventure games, that kind of stuff. You know, these really huge, enormous projects, um, with everything going on. And then really simple, stripped down, straightforward experiences that create this kind of incredible sort of meta experience. I guess with everything, I'm really interested in the meta experience um, as opposed to the game. I want the mechanics to fall by the wayside. I want the mechanics to, you know, disappear. One of my big sort of influences was Intrigue for Glamazons and that it's a, it's a really simple game. You can learn it very quickly, but it's absolutely amazing. It's, it's the most, it's the best negotiation game that exists and it's one of the simplest. And so similarly, you know, bluffing, you know, when you're, when you're playing a card, um, you know, something like, you know, there's other games, you know, like even like a cosmic encounter or something, you know, you're playing a card like, is, are you, are you doing what you say you're doing or are you not? You know, and that's sort of baked into the game, you know, during diplomacy, you know, are you lying to me? Are you telling me you're going to do this other thing? You know, this, this kind of looking at that person and trying to figure out if they're full of it or not is a really interesting moment and also is something that you cannot recreate in iOS which was another huge sort of interesting thing for me that I was really interested in doing. I want to create and publish games that only that really can only exist in their analog state or that their by far superior state is, is you know, analog sitting around a table looking at each other. You know, like I really like Ascension, but I don't ever want to play Ascension in person. I want to play it on the iOS because why do I need to deal with all this nonsense? You know, the, <laughs> the, the, the cardboard portion of it is a detriment to that game. Whereas something like Intrigue, or even something, you know, like dexterity games, things like that. You know, there's all these kinds of, there's these, these spaces where just, you can't really do it, you know, digitally or, or Twilight Imperium. You know, it's just, how are we going to have this negotiation? How are we going to have this discussion? You know, I tried to play it via email a couple times and it's just, it's, it's not fun. You know, it's kind of cool to explore this stuff, but you just lose so much in it not being something that you're all sitting around doing this. You know, it's hour six and two hours ago you screwed me and now I remember <laughs> and I am going to get my revenge. And I've been plotting it for, for hours, you know, like literal hours. I've been plotting my revenge and, and it's, you know, it's just such a satisfying experience in that regard. So, you know, with Glamazons, it's, it's a pure, it's really a pure bluffing game. So you're, you're playing a card and you're just looking at somebody and you're trying to convince them to do the wrong thing. You know, you want them to think you're lying 
if you're not lying and you want them to think that you're totally not lying when you are lying. And, you know, you're kind of looking at each other and you're like setting stuff up. You can play it for, you know, it's, it's not a long game, but you can sort of quote unquote play the long game where you make a really bad move in the first round and really transparent thing. And then you do that same thing again when it, when it matters a little more in the late game, for example. Um, you know, you're about to win and they're like, haha, we got you. And you're like, oh, psych, actually, I totally set you up for that because <laughs> I, I did this something really stupid. You know, so I, I love that. We plan on a net runner, uh, where it's a very similar thing there. Yes. You know, that, that guessing and triple guessing and second guessing, you know, when you're trying to make a run and you're like, oh man, like when they put the, uh, advancement token mm-hmm. on an agenda and you're just like, is that actually an agenda? Or, you know, like, oh, I don't know. You know, and they're like, you know, it's just that, that, that setup. And, and doing that is just so interesting to me. So I kind of wanted to have that experience in a way that was, hey, we can bust this out at two o'clock in the morning when we're all completely drunk, or we can play this while we're waiting for other people, or we can, you know, play a whole bunch of rounds of traditional card game style and make this like a, you know, sort of main, main more main event game. You can play for, you know, an hour or two um, and just play multiple rounds. There's, there's ways to score each round, but really distill down that experience of interacting with other players that you, that you just can't get any other way. So it sounds like you've gotten a, a lot of opportunities to play test Glamazons. Is there anything that didn't work that got pulled out because of play testing? Um, yeah, there were two big things. One is like really big and, and just sort of like, uh, we decided to pull it pretty early on. And that was that, uh, you know, I'm the sort of person that I love all kinds of ridiculous special powers and exceptions and crazy things. Um, and it was like, oh, you know, like when you have this armor, you do this when you, you know, let's put some cards that reverse it and let's put the, all these kind of like crazy advanced things. And I decided that while some of it was working well enough, it really changed the tone of the game from uh, that pure bluffing feel to there was a lot more sort of strategy, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it wasn't really the design goal of the game and that it was, you know, it was luck strategy. It wasn't necessarily a pure strategy. It was this kind of, well, I need to mitigate the chance that he drew this specific card that totally negates this or that or oh this person is is getting a runaway lead because they have the stuff that helps them now and it just got out of hand and it didn't contribute to the game in in a meaningful you know it didn't pull its weight i guess is the best way to put it um that said there have been a lot of people that have been asking for these advanced rules and so we are you know i'm sort of reviving a bunch of that and it's it's we're going to do a uh you know depending on if we hit a stretch down the road um, I will definitely, you know, release some additional advanced stuff a little bit later that I've had a chance to, you know, really play test a whole bunch and, and see. The other thing that was a huge change, a relatively huge change was that, uh, right now the way it is, is your, uh, your cards that you're playing, your, your numbered cards, your attack cards that you're bluffing with. Um, everybody has an individual hand or everybody has an individual deck numbered one to eight and they're drawing two cards at a time, you know, into their hand. So you kind of have like a much more balanced sense of what everyone has. You know, you might draw your worst cards first, but in almost every every game, unless it's like one of those really, really rare games where someone just absolutely crushes it super quickly, it's very rare that you don't go through that deck at least once. So throughout the game, you're pretty much going to get the opportunity to have all of those numbered cards and then, you know, deal with them, you know, because having an eight, you know, you can use strategically in one way, having a one, you can use strategically in a very, very different way, you know, and everything kind of in between there. What we originally were doing was there was a single deck in the middle that had kind of a bell curve of values, cards numbered five to 25 with, uh, you know, like five to 10, there was only one and 20 to 25, there was only one. And then there were like multiples and there were three, like right in the middle there. And everyone was just drawing from that deck. And we found that, uh, you know, it just wasn't, you know, people were getting like these wildly unbalanced matchups, 
you might draw like a five, a six, a seven, an eight, a nine. And then somebody else is drawing like, you know, 21, 22, 18. You know, they're drawing strong, much stronger cards the whole time. Um, that was one that actually we did a play test, uh, at Origins. And that was like Zev was just, it was relatively early on in the, like the heavy duty public play testing period. And that was one that Zev was just like, you need to fix this. This is what you're going to do. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I should do that. I was, you know, I was kind of considering it at that point. And Zev was just like, yeah, no, no way. Like, stop pretending like this is the way to do it. You want to do it that way. Like, <laughs> that's, there's no question. Like, that's it. Um, and then we made, you know, we officially kind of made the switch and it, and it just worked so much better. So that was probably the biggest, biggest change, um, in terms of, in terms of that stuff. You know, the, most of it actually came together pretty, pretty straightforward because it's not that complicated a game. The rules fit on, you know, a page really, you know, so it's, it's, there wasn't a whole lot of tweaking other than the tweaking was more balance. Is it one to eight? Is it one to five? Is it, you know, like how do we number the cards, you know, kind of playing through that sort of thing? What, uh, you know, what are the numbers? How many pieces do you actually need to win? You know, how many points do you need five pieces of armor? Do you need three pieces of armor? You know, what actually balances, what plays well, what, what is sort of the optimal number, you know, for fun and for that fun experience? Cause it sort of works. You know, how many times around the table do we want it to go on average? Um, how quickly do we want somebody to be able to win? How long do we want it to go? Like what's sort of like the long end on this? You know, like can it, re- you know, in this perfect state, like, how much can this drag out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, sort of cutting down that and so making sure that it doesn't turn into like one of those sort of munchkin situations where that first half hour, 45 minutes is a great time. And then three hours later, you're still playing. <laughs> so, we, you know, th- that was really a lot more of the development process than, than dramatically changing the rules. Uh, it was a lot more of like doing that kind of, is this working? Is this not working? You know, let's, let's do these numbers. How does that play? Let's do these numbers. How does that play? We, you know, we had it at Origins. We had it at Gen Con. By Gen Con, it was pretty close to finished. It was, there was like maybe one or two minor changes that were done post Gen Con. Origins, uh, we got a lot of great feedback. Um, I think we play tested a lot more at Origins than at Gen Con. Gen Con was more showing off than, than quote unquote play testing. By then it was much more sort of codified in that, in that couple months in between those two. Uh, oh, WBC, we did a lot of play testing. Um, that was kind of like the final round of you know, any sort of like larger changes was, was at WBC, you know, so I was fortunate the timing that I got to go to pretty much all the really big cons and, uh, you know, bring it there and sort of show it off and play test it with a lot of people. You know, I got, got feedback from a lot of sort of really name brand, uh, publishers and designers and stuff who, who took a look at it for me just from my having been around, I guess I, you know, I know a bunch of people, you know, and they were all like, Oh, Hey, like, yeah, I'll check out your thing. You know? All right. So we've kind of, uh, backed into it a bit. We've talked about it. Uh, around the surface, but uh, why don't you go ahead and tell people uh, the high-level pitch for Glamazons versus the Curse of the Chainmail Bikini? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. Uh, so basically, you are a bunch of Chainmail Bikini warriors who are totally fed up with the idea that you keep getting dragon scale pasties and a metal thong when you go in to get armor from the blacksmith. Um, so what you've done is you kind of banded together, and you decided to partner up, and you randomly sort of partner up with each other, and you go out and you kill monsters to turn them into armor. So you know you're going to like you know, cut a bugbear's head off and, and make a little helmet out of it or, or what have you. Uh, the problem is that two of you go out and kill this monster, but, you know, murdering monsters kind of doesn't leave their bodies in the best shape. You know, you're a bunch of warriors. You're stabbing them up. You're kicking them. You're doing all this stuff. And so uh, when the dust settles and the monster's dead, you only uh, have enough material there to turn them into one piece of armor. And so you have to figure out who did the most damage because that's really the only equitable way to decide who gets it. And so you have a numbered hand of cards and you are going to play a value, play a card face down, say a value, claim a value. Uh, your partner can then either say challenge that or let it ride. 
if they let it ride, they can then, they then play their own card face down, which you can then challenge or let it ride. If you both let it ride, then whichever, whoever did the most damage, you know, whoever played that, whoever claimed the highest card, because cards are not revealed if you just let it ride. Um, whoever claimed the highest card gets that piece of armor. If you challenge, then whoever wins the challenge to use shorthand to, to like, you know, gamers that'll probably understand what that means. Um, whoever wins the challenge gets not just the piece of armor in question, but also gets to steal a piece of armor from the person that challenged them or that thought they were lying when they in fact weren't. And if that person has no armor, they get to just top deck the next piece. And so the goal of the game is to get all five slots covered in, in actual protective armor. So you start out, you have sort of like one side of your player mat is this like pinup of you, sort of like totally ridiculous because we love pinup art. You know, it's fun. We just want to, you know, have fun with it. And uh, the thing is, some of the girls look really disgusted. Some of the girls are kind of like, whatever, I'm going to own this till I get like actual armor. Like, you know, I'll dress up and be ridiculous, which was actually a, a decision that was made, not a decision, but it was a you know, suggestion made by the artist. He was kind of like, you know, they don't all need to look disgusted because originally I was going to have them all looking disgusted. And uh, he said, you know, some of these girls like would own it. They'd be like, yeah, you're damn right. Like, I'm not wearing a shirt. Like, deal with it. I'm gonna go get some proper armor. But whatever, I'll walk around in this. Like, I'm into it. So uh, the other side of your player mat is uh, a paper doll figure, and the armor is all uh, unique pieces based on the monster that you kill. So there's seven different monsters, each with five different slots worth of armor uh, attached to them, and uh, each piece is unique, and they are basically reusable vinyl stickers so like color forms although i think that's trademarked so i can't say that um, <laughs> but they are uh, color form like <laughs> color form-esque yeah. reusable vinyl stickers and you know you're putting them on there so you're you know just like the uh if you ever see anybody that has like little girls or boys that enjoy uh paper doll dress-up stuff like melissa and doug make these things now a lot and so uh that is, uh, you know, how you're, how you're keeping track of what you're doing. You know, you kill this monster and you pull off the little skeleton pants and like, cool, now I got little skeleton pants. And, you know, so the armor's pretty fun and, uh, you know, made out of those monsters. It's pretty straightforward. And I think the theme carries through the whole thing. You know, the goal is, is fun. You're, you're trying to get dressed effectively. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to get armor that works, but not because you necessarily have a problem walking around in a bikini top. But you do have a problem with that being the way that you're going to go fight ogres. Okay. All right. So, and then if anybody was looking at this and uh, was on the fence, what's the one thing that would make somebody say, I have to back this? Well, I mean, I think the thing that makes me want to have people really back it on Kickstarter is that uh, we are really on Kickstarter because we don't have money. And we really want to involve the community in this. If it doesn't kickstart, like, I don't know if it's getting made. So, you know, I very much understand the impetus to want to wait till it's in distribution. You can get it, you know, online. You can play it more. You can this and that. Um, if you think it's cool, it's 25 bucks to buy in at the base level. You know, we have a more deluxe version. There's other stuff you can do. You can buy like naming rights to characters. You can get Joe to do art of you. But really, if you want to support sort of an independent project, and getting it off the ground and be a part of sort of like this early stage of something that I think is going to go a long way and, uh, you know, be something down the line for a long time, you know, get involved now because it's, you know, it's 25 bucks. Yeah, maybe you could save four bucks if you buy from cool stuff in a year with a whole bunch of other stuff. So you get free shipping and this and that. But, uh, you know, I think it's important that we as a community support the things that we really believe in and want to support. And really, it's, you know, it's me. And, you know, a couple other people that are kind of doing the company 
and you're directly supporting us by by giving us that money. And also, we haven't hit our uh, funding goal yet, so I'm freaking out. So maybe help me not freak out and drink as much this this the rest of this month. Uh, that'd be super cool too. <laughs> I don't think you have anything to really freak out about. I mean, you're at uh, what you 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 go until November fifth. Oh, we're doing good. I mean, our kick track trends us to to fund and you know to do well, but uh, until you hit that number. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I, I fully get what you. And you're kind of in that mid thing slump right we're now. We're over the bit. slump right now, and it is it's it's brutal. Um, but you you are you are at fifty eight percent, if I remember right. Yeah, somewhere around there. I mean, we're doing. I mean, ultimately, like we're doing. We are not doing as well as one of those like out the gate, totally insane four thousand percent projects. Um, but as far as projects that reasonably fund. And, and are sort of like those sort of run of the mill projects. We're doing really, really well. I'm, I'm very happy. The community has been great. Um, if you look at like the number of comments that we have compared to a lot of other projects, you know, people are really engaged. People are talking about it. You know, I'm really, really excited about it. And, and I think it, it shows that a lot of other people are really excited about it. You know, we have a lot of evangelists. You know, we don't have a lot of people that are, that are necessarily just, Oh, I'm going to grab this and throw it on a shelf, you know, play it once or twice. It's just, you know, I collect a lot of games. Um, it seems like we have a lot of people that are, they're really passionate about it and really want to see it succeed. And, and I'm just so, I think, like fortunate and lucky and, and ecstatic that we have, uh, that I've connected with, with people on this level. And it's, you know, it's great. I mean, I was walking around Comic Con and, you know, there's some people that I knew were going to be there. Um, but then there were other people that were coming up and were just like, Oh, hey, like you're, you're, you know, you're the Glamazons guy. Like I, I saw the project. I, you know, I'm going to back it. Like I'm like, well, okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, you know, I still, you know, I, I have no, no ego, I guess, about it, you know, like, it's just, what, like, you like my thing? Like, that's, that's crazy to me. Like, you know, like, I really like it, but, you know, it's, 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 I'm still at that stage of, you know, I'm just this dumb idiot. Like, I don't know, I made this fun game that, that I think is fun, but like, what do you mean other people actually like it too, you know? Someone other than my mom pledged, like, wow, you know? <laughs> All right, you, uh, you mentioned Art and you mentioned Joe a little bit, so I'm going to, I'm going to long wind into this a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. So g- give me a second. <laughs> No worries. <laughs> when Matt originally approached me, we started talking about the interview and stuff. And uh, Matt also was gracious enough to also do advertising on the website. So when he sent the ad over, that's when I started looking a little bit hard. Like I said, I had, I had listened to and watched the interview off of Board Game Geek like the day before you contacted me. <laughs> So it was fresh in my mind in that point. And then I kind of, you know, we were in the middle of our pledge drive and stuff. So it was off and on. But then I started really looking at the page, especially after you sent me the ad to make sure, uh, I knew what was going on and all that. Good we're not stuff. awful. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. Well, that and I'm, I'm very much, you know, you might have gotten a little bit off of our conversation, but I'm very much into the community aspect of what I bring to the table. So I'm always, I want to know. I want to be engaged. I want to be involved with the people that I'm hopefully helping get some traffic or, you know, get, get their game made or something like that. I mean, I just, I, I want to be involved and I want it to be a community thing, not just, Oh, well, thanks for this. And, you know, like send me money or anything like that. I, I, I want, I want there to be some involvement. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I like to know what's going on. So I started looking through the project and, uh, Shortly after I started looking through the project, I'm a little disappointed in my coworkers and my fiance because none of them would help me raise the $5,000 to get to the highest <laughs> pledge level because who's doing the art for you, sir? It is uh, Joe Capabianco. That's right. Who happens to be one of my favorite tattoo artists at the moment. In fact, the tattoo I just got last month at Crypticon that you guys heard about on the podcast was inspired by Joe's style. 
Yeah, so that's that's how you know that that your dude is pretty serious when he has a style. Yes, that, that is named after him. <laughs> so I had uh, just got a tattoo last month that was, uh, "Can you do a, a capo girl style tattoo?" <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, everybody I know is no longer on my Christmas card list unless they help me raise that five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, obviously you and Joe must have a history or you've known Joe for a while, but how, how did that come about for him to actually work on a game? Uh, I mean, <laughs> so it's, it's really funny. Like I, his shop, um, you know, he lives in, New ha- I live in New Haven, Connecticut. He lives in New Haven. Um, his shop that actually just celebrated its 10th anniversary, you know, the shop that him and uh, this guy, Eric own, um, is about three blocks from my house. So, uh, when I, you know, sort of was like, thinking about Glamazons, one of the very early things was, Hey, you know, like, Joe could do the art for this and it'd be really cool. So you know, I walked over and said, Hey, Joe, like, check this out. I, I got this project. Like, do you want to, you want to get involved? And he said, Yeah, sure. <laughs> that was, that was kind of it. Um, so, so it wasn't actually like this whole big thing. I mean, it just, uh, you know, like I've known Joe for a number of years. You know, I'm for those that are, have never seen me, I have a lot of tattoos and, uh, I've been sort of, I don't want to say like involved in the tattoo scene, but I've certainly, you know, been around and, uh, you know, Joe is also really into fine art as well. The shop that he owns is actually called Hope Gallery. It's not called like Hope Tattoo or this or that. It's Hope Gallery. Everybody that works in the shop is uh, a fine artist and at least one other medium. Pretty much all of them are painters. Some of them are also sculptors and, and various other things. So Joe's really into the, the whole fine art thing. Uh, my wife is a painter. Um, I have a lot of friends that are artists. You know, I had friends that were, you know, involved in shows at Hope Gallery, you know, over the years because they do, they do regular art shows, uh, like themed art shows and stuff like that. So, you know, I just, I hang out there a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I'm friends with, uh, I'm pretty good friends with a couple of the other people that work there as well. You know, so I just hang out there a bunch and, uh, you know, like three blocks away and, you know, tattoo shops. It's a great spot to go hang out when you're not doing anything. My work schedule and, you know, the fact that I work kind of all the time, but also don't work all the time, like kind of make my own hours a lot. So like, you know, Hey, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, like whatever. I'll ride my bike over and hang out for an hour or two, you know, just kind of shoot the shit with guys and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was just kind of this natural, you know, very comfortable thing for me to, you know, I was nervous that he was going to say like, no, you're an idiot. Which he still does, actually. It's really funny working with Joe. He basically tells me all the time about how, like, you know, he's never going to make any money off this. And, and, and like, I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, yeah, put on that dress, you weirdo. Like, you know, <laughs> just, you know, but I mean, you know, he's very much this, you know, uh, ball busting kind of, kind of guy. Like, uh, anybody that's seen the, the show that he's on, Best Inc., yep. um, he's the head judge on there. Um, they, they tone him down considerably. <laughs> you know, he's like the Simon Cowell on that show, you know, just kind of like yells at everyone, tells them they're awful. Um, and he's, he's way toned down. They have to cut out most of his rants because he curses too much. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and they have to make him seem like not completely awful, but he's, he's also like, if he, he's also incredibly supportive of, uh, you know, young artists and the art scene and people doing good stuff. He's just also like, he's just very much like a no BS kind of guy that is, uh, definitely not shy about telling you something's awful if that's what he thinks it is. So, but he's also, also secretly, uh, somewhat secretly, although less secretly now, he's a big D and D nerd from way back. So he was actually, he's really excited about it because he's like, he's, he's throwing in monsters that he wanted to do, you know? Nice. Uh, he's like, well, what monsters do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, what, yeah, I have some ideas. Like, what do you think? He's like, I really want to do like an owl bear, but like, you know, we can't do an owl bear because, you know, Wizards of the Coast will sue you. So how about we do like a bird bear and I'll do like kind of like a blue jay kind of thing. It'd be really cool. You know, he's, I mean, so he's got like all these awesome ideas of the stuff he wants to do. You know, so, so it's, it's, it's been a really fun process because he's just amazing. He's super known for the pinups, but his other work is, is absolutely incredible. 
Um, I actually am going to go over there. He sent me some uh, sketches earlier today. So I'm going to go over tomorrow and take some new pictures, uh, you know, a little bit better than he took and uh, put those up on there. So everybody, by the time this comes out, there should be some new sketches of some armor and some of the paper dolls and stuff like that, you know, up up on the uh, Kickstarter page. So it's just, it's amazing to, to see all this work, you know? Yeah, I, it would be ridiculously dangerous for me to live that close to a good shop. <laughs> A good tattoo place like that. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, uh, I mean, I've been running out of space for years, but uh, <laughs> I just have no money. Is is fortunately like slowing me down. Although I've reached a point where I may or may not be paying for tattoos that much anymore with some of the people. Joe always pay with Joe. Joe you always pay with Joe. But uh, other people, <laughs> other friends there are are you know a little bit more into bartering this or that. <laughs> the other thing, you know, like. You know, I, I get the call. Hey, somebody canceled. You know, come down. We'll do some work for you. Um, you know, we'll do something. Part of it too is I let people do a lot of like kind of go wild. You know, I have, I have low standards at this point, um, in terms of demanding things in a very specific way, <laughs> you know, because A, I just, you know, I really like trusting artists to do what they want to do. I think they're going to, you know, come out with something much better, but also, uh, you know, I like stupid joke tattoos. You know, I got a, I got a big Watto tattoo just cause he's like literally the worst. Um, you know, so I got like a water tattoo. It just, you know, bothers people that really like Star Wars. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got like a, a pink bunny fairy tattooed on my butt and, you know, just kind of, you know, all sorts of ridiculous stuff at this point. So, uh, yeah, I still want my, uh, gangster Darth Vader with who's your daddy around it. Yeah, exactly. I love that kind <laughs> of stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous stuff. You should come here, Eric. I'm Eric Merrill, who's the other guy that owns the shop yeah. and is, is this awesome, amazing tattoo artist as well. He is huge into Star Wars, like just huge, huge, huge. Like he does uh, replica helmets is one of the things he does. He gets actual pulls from the original vacuforms. So he gets actual stormtrooper helmets and stuff and uh, he'll do them up. He paints them and then battle damages them and stuff. Does you know, He does like these ridiculous replica helmets. He also has like a number of Spider-Man suits that he, you know, he, he, he uh, sort of, he gets the files from, from the actual printer uh, that made the, the, you know, official movie Spider-Man suits and then get some custom printed onto, onto the Lycra and stuff. And then uses like little puff paint to like, you know, do all the webbing. And, and it's crazy, crazy. Those guys are all, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Like my, uh, my fiance is a huge Star Wars geek. So that's that, awesome. That's one of the few that actually, when I was getting, uh, my capo style tattoo, you know, the, the typical joke you hear from most tattoo artists is when you're not looking at the tattoo and somebody comes along and says it and they say it, yeah, it's pretty cool. Something else. <laughs> right. She's like, yeah, it's a, and what I got was a zombie queen. Okay. Right on. Cause I have a zombie king on my other leg. So, uh, across from him now is his counterpart, the zombie queen. Well, she's doing, somebody came by. Oh, that's a really awesome design. That's awesome. It's looking really good. And she goes, she's like, yeah, it's a pretty decent Chewbacca, isn't it? And I'm like, you know what? My fiance <laughs> is a Star Wars geek. I'm good either way. <laughs> I'm covered. That's great. Yeah. That's great. All right, so uh yeah, we tangent a bit here, but uh I I no, not, it's not just you, man. It's me. <laughs> I tangent on that cuz like I said, uh when I saw that Joe was part of it, I was like, "I want $5,000 now." <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, man. A number of people have brought up that it's not it's really like we're not actually making that much money. <laughs> like it's expensive, but uh we're really not really making that much money. I mean, Joe's like you're getting like a like $1,500 tattoo, you know, like <laughs> out of it plus, you know, if you drink with me, I mean, we're going to spend a lot uh, over a weekend, <laughs> you know, hotels, this and that, you know, I mean, that was really actually something that I, uh, 
I just really want somebody to get it so that they like come hang out. Like I think it'll just be so fun. Like <laughs> I really want, I really want somebody to do it. I think, it'll, I think it'll just be awesome. You know, it's also like, I think probably one of, if not the only, certainly one of the only, uh, certainly in the board game sphere, uh, tattoo related, you know, you get a tattoo. That's like, that's, that's the, that's the tier, you know, you're getting the tattoo. Seriously, you have no idea how bad I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be. I mean, he's done. I mean, he has uh, on my leg, like basically ankle to knee. I mean, I have a full I have a full leg sleeve from him. It's all like D&D stuff. But uh, ankle to knee, I have what is effectively a Glamazon, you know, pre Glamazons existing. Nice. You know, so I have like a fantasy, you know, chainmail bikini warrior <laughs> <laughs> that he did. So because uh, it's like, you know, man's ruin, you know, those like, uh, you know, a classic sailor tattoo, the man's ruin, you know, yeah. thing. Um, so I did like a man's ruin, uh, you know, that's kind of what it started out with. Uh, we were originally going to put in, um, even, uh, a bunch of magic cards instead of like regular playing cards, <laughs> but then we decided to just kind of go with more monsters instead of magic cards. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's done some, some really cool stuff. Basically all the monsters on my leg are like, uh, <laughs> proprietary wizards of the coast. You know, I can't have a displacer beast in the game. I can't have a, uh, <laughs> in the game, you know, <laughs> can't have an illithid in the game. I have a huge, the other side is like this is giant illithid holding a d20 like sort of like hovering its hand which is pretty awesome super psyched about that but uh yeah i mean i just i'm i mean part of the thing that's so cool about the project is i get to see all this cool new art from joe like i get to tell him like draw this <laughs> nice yeah draw me a dragon joe draw me a dragon and <laughs> you know <laughs> it's awesome all right well we've uh yeah we've we, we've gone late <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right because this has been awesome. Awesome. So let's uh, let's go ahead and do the Kickstarter lessons. Uh, do you have any lessons you want to pass on to anybody else that's either thinking about doing Kickstarter or is in the process of maybe uh, putting a game together that may eventually go on Kickstarter? What have you learned so far? I mean, I think my my Kickstarter lesson sort of encompasses a lot of stuff from before as well. Um, and from other people, uh, and being involved in other projects. And that is, is, is the biggest thing is think about what you actually want at the end of the day. It's very easy to say you want to kick, to run a Kickstarter for something and, and publish your own game. But it's really not about when you're, when you're running a Kickstarter for your game, it's not about, uh, your game. You know, it's really, it's about, it's about marketing. It's about doing math. It's about international shipping. It's about customs. It's about, you know, spreadsheets and, and stuff that you may or may not find fun. If that's stuff that you enjoy and you feel comfortable with, great, go for it. But if you just want to have your game out there, you know, talk to publishers, like, you know, put the time in, you know, like, I don't want to step on anybody's dreams or anything, certainly. And I, I definitely am actually a firm believer in outsider art and stuff like that, too. But, you know, like, really look long and hard into uh, what you're getting yourself into, because uh, what I'm doing now has nothing to do with having designed a game. What I'm doing now is is all very business stuff, you know, which is which I personally love and have a great time with. But I, I talk to a lot of people, you know, especially, you know, you see in some of the Kickstarter sort of like uh, groups and stuff like that where people are kind of asking questions, this and that. And a lot of people just have no idea, like, you know, what that means, what they're getting into, this or that. And uh, it's you can just kind of see this sort of slow motion train wreck yeah. with some people. Uh, which is really disheartening because they may be one, they're wonderful people. They might have a great game. They're just like, I don't, I don't know what, what it costs to ship to Europe, you know, like, and then you, and you have all these horror stories of people, you know, losing tons of money on their successful Kickstarter. And it's, and it's just because they, they don't know or care about the things that are actually what, what, what makes a Kickstarter work. Or you have these people that have these great games and they haven't done any of the sort of legwork beforehand, the sort of like building of a, of a reputation or, a social network or a mailing list or, you know, whatever it is, whatever form that takes specifically, you know, whatever that may be, 
you need to do all this stuff before. You can't just say, hey, you know, like my game's great. I'm gonna put it on Kickstarter. It's gonna, you know, everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna back it. Uh, you know, the thing is, last year at Essen, I think this is approximately 800 games were released at Essen 2012, and that's from accepted existing publishers that yeah. that have you know budgets and marketing and all this and that. So like you're competing with that, plus you're competing with Kickstarter. I looked at Kick, you know, Kickstarter. There were like nine game projects that lost this, that launched the same day we did. That's actually low too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I felt great. And then the next day, like another. 20 launched. That's like awesome. <laughs> you know, so, and some of them are huge, of course, you know? So the thing is like, A, not only are you competing with other games, you're competing with other Kickstarters, you're competing with, you know, potentially huge Kickstarters, right? So like Reaper Bones is going on right now. Well, that's going to take a lot of people's money, you know? Like okay. they might have backed Glamazons last month or next month, but hey, you know, the timing worked out that we're up against Bones and, and that's going to take a lot of people's budget. You know, you also have some other big projects that are going on right now that are taking a lot of people's money. So, you know, just, just really think about, you know, I want to publish games is why I am kickstarting Glamazons. I want to publish games. I want to do Glamazons myself the way I want to do it. Um, we actually had offers, uh, from a couple people that were really interested in publishing it. And these were some, some big people. And, uh, I said, no, you know, like I, I'm not really, like I really want to do it myself. So if you're, if your Kickstarter is just kind of your last resort or you think it's going to be this easy thing, you know, really, Really look into that. Really, you know, take a hard look in the mirror and see if that's actually what you want. And then if that is what you really want, just put the effort in. It's, it's going to be like at least, you know, like treat it like going to school part time at the very least. You need to read. You need to know a lot. It blows my mind when you have people come on and they're like, Hey, I just uh, launched my Kickstarter. Um, you know, when I worked at Panda, you know, <laughs> we used to get, I used to get emails all the time. I was an account manager. I used to get emails all the time. Hey, our Kickstarter is, uh, you know, looks like it's doing pretty good. I would love to get uh, a price quote on what it's going to cost to print this. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what are you doing? You know, like, like, you're, how did you price your game then if you didn't price it on like what it's going to cost to actually make it? Yeah. Like, I, I've actually seen, I, I think I'm still waiting on one where it was six months to a year later where they kind of came up and said, Hey, guess what? We're, we're doing really well with what's going on. We're at the point where we're going to start talking to printers right now. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, what? That is ridiculous. And, and in today's environment for Kickstarter, here, here's the thing you, you, you kind of brushed on early on about the Kickstarter bubble and everybody's kind of talking about the Kickstarter bubble and will it burst and what, what the effect will be. It's going to burst. I just don't know how big it's, you know, it might not be yeah. that big, but there's definitely, you know, a storm of some sort coming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but what I think is starting to happen is, and I'm not sure about the whole burst thing, but yeah, I mean, it, it's some, some, something at some point has got to give. Right. But what I kind of, have been talking about a lot lately, it seems like, is there is a process that is forming right now that you have to follow at least two thirds of the steps to even compete with everything that's going on right now. I mean, you don't have to necessarily do all of them, but you definitely got to hit the big ones. I mean, the, the, the days of, Hey, Here's two rough sketches I did and my idea is not going mm -hmm. to get you funded anymore. Yeah. No, I mean, although the, 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 the flip side to that, which is actually something that, that is maybe going to be a less popular opinion on my part is that, um, 
I think that there are a lot of quote unquote conventional wisdoms or accepted wisdoms or accepted ways of doing things mm-hmm. that are very specific, that are, are broadly, that are treated as though they are broadly applicable, mm-hmm. but really only focus on a small subset or a small style or a small set of goals for what you're looking to do. Um, not that I'm some huge Kickstarter guru either, <laughs> but I think there's, there's a number of sort of like, there's like this echo chamber effect, I think, that is detrimental. And there's a lot of, well, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And that's true, maybe. And it's certainly not necessarily a bad thing to do, but there are certainly other ways. And I think there are, there are definitely a number of people in the sort of like Kickstarter advice community, let's say, mm-hmm. that are very, I don't want to say like narrow-minded because that sounds like really negative. And I mean, I do mean it to be negative, but that sounds like overly negative. Uh, <laughs> but that are very sort of like very fixed in in their conception of what what is successful. Because, hey, this has worked for me. And this is what everyone should do. And this is the way it's done. Um, as opposed to like, hey, you know, like if you look at some of the most successful projects, like they break all those rules. Or if you look at, you know, like certain other projects that have maybe have different goals, they break a lot of those rules, you know, or maybe, you know, people have like very different ways that they're coming into projects than than each other. You know, some people like, uh, for example, Robot Turtles, right? Like, yeah. where did that come from? You know, like. <laughs> Oh, well, it came from one of these dudes who was, he was like a, a marketing manager for Google or something. He's like some, some VP of Google. He's like a billion dollars or something. And I don't know why, you know, don't even know why he put it on Kickstarter. But anyway, but it was like, you know, like he broke so many of these like board game funding rules, but was like the most backed gaming project ever, you know? And, and it's like, you know, obviously he has his own crazy set of, of circumstances that, that most of us don't have, but it just kind of like really illustrates this idea that, you know, we can all give advice, we can all help you, but like ultimately at the end of the day, like you're responsible, you know what your situation is, you know, research Kickstarter, right. research what other projects have done, research what you think is your market, you know, all these sort of like standard business things. But at the end of the day, there's no one size fits all playbook um, for you, you know. There are things like you were saying though at the end of the day that like, yeah, you really need to have art. You need to have like rules. You know, you need to, you need to have, you do need to have like a bare minimum of like, well, this is the product that we're, that we're looking to, to have. This is the project. You know, don't misspell everything. Don't, you know, like, you know, there's, there's all kinds of like little things that are just sort of like, we'll just treat it like any business, you know, (laughs) like what are you doing? Everything's misspelled. Like that's not really inspiring confidence that you're going to be able to handle international shipping logistics if you misspell the name of the project, you know? Yeah, and just like little things like you talked about earlier too about uh you know don't don't start your marketing with Kickstarter. Uh, yeah, it, it it's fundamentally that never really works out well. It, the, the people that think Kickstarter is my marketing don't always do very well if they fund at all. Lose your momentum, you know. I mean, that's the thing. I think it's you know like I feel like we've done a pretty good job of marketing, and you know like we're sitting, we have lost, you know, we're we're in that trough, you know, and it's. And it's tough. It's a huge, it is, uh, you know, very early on, there were these like crazy boom days where it was just, there were like nine projects at a time, you know, not nine projects a day, nine Mm -hmm. projects at a time. And it was much easier to get noticed just via Kickstarter or just, Hey, this is a new Kickstarter project. Kickstarter. What's that about? Let me check it out. You know, now the Kickstarter consumers are, are far more jaded, far more discriminating, far more, uh, because they have to be, because there's, you know, right now there's like, I don't know, 100, 150 active game projects on Kickstarter. So, you know, I'm like random, you know, game supporter, game purchaser. Well, you know, no matter how much I think your project might be cool, like, well, there's this other project that's cooler. You know, it's like that, it's like that thing about, um, you know, you don't have to be able to outrun a dinosaur or a zombie or whatever. You just have to be the second <laughs> slowest. You just have to outrun at least one of your friends. So there's, there's that kind of thing in reverse where it's, 
you know, great, your project might be awesome, but if there's another project that's more awesome, well, that's going to get money before you, and that's going to take a bunch of the money that people might have spent on you. So you're only going to get the people that are willing to spend on two projects that month. If you're the third best project that month, well, guess what? Like, you're going to be, you know, you're the only, you're only going to get money that people are spending on a third project that month, you know? So, so, you know, you need to look at, at the, the realities of the situation that it's, it's definitely not a, um, Hey, Kickstarter, free money. Like people will back it. Like it's exciting. You know, you really need to make people want to support you, um, and give them like some, some sort of like unique value proposition. Because again, too, like Essen, you know, Essen's next week, right? Next week, week and a half, whatever. Essen is very soon. And at Essen, I'm, confident that you know eight nine hundred new games are going to get launched and they're going to be actual physical games that exist right now that i can buy and that i can read a hundred reviews of and then i can you know like so you're you're asking people to go out on a huge limb with a kickstarter i think it's an amazing platform i think it's super cool i love what it's doing you know conceptually philosophically it's wonderful but it's just it's it's brutal it's it's you know it's so so hard and i think people don't really have a, a, a strong, healthy appreciation for how completely awful it actually is. <laughs> well, Matt, you know what? I can talk all night with you, it seems like. We, we're on the same page for a lot of things, and, and this has been an awesome conversation, but I'm going to uh, let our listeners go here <laughs> in a second. Yeah, right. So, uh, <laughs> Glamazons versus the Curse of the Chainmail Bikini is currently sitting around uh, 58% funded. He's looking for $15,000. He's got close to 9000 I believe. And it goes until Tuesday, November 5th, 2013. Definitely go check it out. Again, uh, if you uh, you can go check it out on Kickstarter or you can go to the allusgeeks.com website and there is an ad that will take you right to the project. So yeah, if, you, um, if you are uh, hearing it on the podcast, Either click through the, the ad link on all us geeks or, or tell me, let me know. Cause, uh, you know, like I'm really excited about it and I definitely want to, uh, you know, make sure that I give you credit for, for all the people that you're bringing in. Like, you don't want to say, Oh, I don't know. Did anybody come in from the podcast or the ad? I don't know. Uh, you know, let me know. So, you know, like I want to say, Oh my God, like you're the greatest. <laughs> So, uh, you know, coming, coming through that. <laughs> yeah. So Matt, thanks for coming and hanging out with me for a while. And you're going to have to come back. Uh, either we can talk post Kickstarter or more Kickstarter stuff, or you can just come geek slash nerd out with me sometime because, uh, this has been awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, obviously, uh, as much as you love to talk, I think I talked like even more. So <laughs> I'm always happy to, uh, to come on and talk about stuff. And yeah, so I mean, you know, Pretty's Princess Games, we're, we're looking to be, to be big for a long time. If you like my nonsense talking too, I'll give you one more plug. If you like the nonsense that I talk and want to hear me curse a lot more, um, I co-host the Fortress Ameritrash podcast, the Fatcast, um, and that's at fortressat.com. I also write there occasionally and curse a lot in the forums and stuff like that. Um, you know, we have a really fun little community over there. Definitely, uh, you know, if you like anything that I'm saying, I'm certainly, you know, there a lot. And if you are ever in the sort of tri-state New York City area, Connecticut especially, give me a shout because I love meeting people and hanging out with people and gaming with people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, anybody that's listening, like, let me know. We'll play some games. We'll hang out. Um, and Jeff especially, like, if you want to come get tattooed, you can come stay at the house. We'll walk over. We'll drink some beers. It'll be great. So don't, don't, don't tap me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll right. pick you up at the airport. I'll do the whole thing. Like, oh, all you got, all you got to do is figure out the tattoo money. That's it. Ma- Megan! And, get, and getting here. <laughs> I'm ruining your life, right? Like, this is great. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right. So as always, I'll have uh, links in the show notes to the Kickstarter project, to the podcast. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us. And again, Matt, come back, man. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Literally anytime you want me to. Like, well, I'm just drinking beer, sitting at the computer, talking nonsense. This is basically what I do every night. It's just now I have a little headset microphone on. So. <laughs> All right, everybody, go check out Glamazons. Thanks for listening to us babble. 